Hello and welcome to the podcast for the brand new series of Countryside here on Max Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. And well, what have you been up to and the family on the farm and world over the past couple of months, Kiri? Well, we've had the sheep lamb around Easter time there in April and now the lambs have been vaccinated and, and the necessary requirements done, castrating and tailing. But the mother sheep now, it's their turn to be sheared and it's been very sporadic, very slow going. So normally we'd run them in, in a couple of hundred at a time and get them sheared. But with the weather, we've only been able to do them in small batches as and when we can house them and keep them dry for the for the contractor or, or for my family that do them ourselves sometimes. Yeah, and it's one of them things, isn't it? We'll be hearing from um, Daniel Creer uh, later in the programme, but it's the ploughing, the combine and stuff. It, if the weather's bad... It can all build up and put a lot of pressure on contractors, can't it? It certainly was a small window when the contractors were trying to plant the corn and everyone was screaming and shouting for them. And once it was in the ground, they'd get a bit more peace. But now the silage time, the first cut is quite often done by the end of uh, June. So they'll have a little bit of a break now before the rest of the ordinary commercial beef farmers and sheep farmers will will come on stream as well. Mm, It's the time of year uh, where the Manx back group and people involved... um, in that will be pretty excited because it's a busy time for bats and they've got some new technology which we'll be hearing Nick Pinder talking about and also uh, a big week at the start of July for the Treadalore Sheepdog Trial Committee because uh, they've got a, a good bit of international flavour coming to the Isle of Man to take part in the in the things so you'll, you'll have seen them like on one man as dog where the sheep are rounding up um, or pigs as in the case of Babe, uh, <laughs> rounding up the sheep and to see uh, the man, the shepherd and handler and the sheepdogs in perfect harmony a lot of the time can be a, a fantastic sight. It really is a beautiful sight and the connection that a handler has with the dog it is absolutely second to none. They are bestest of friends, but it can all still go pear-shaped on the day. It just depends what moods the dog is in, what mood the handler is in. But uh, when they're working as a duo, it's a fantastic sight and everyone should go along to Bishop's Court there and, and have a watch if they can. Yeah, and it's funny, I said to some fellow once who he had he's always had dogs, so I said, you know, move to the quads you know to go out in the sheep get away with you how can you cuss and tell the quad all your troubles and tell the dog everything and Joe at it it's true yeah, isn't it, it yeah is. <laughs> all right all of that um in this week's countryside so here it is it's a very uh, busy few weeks ahead for the Treadler sheepdog trial committee here on the Isle of Man everyone well of a certain age will remember one man and his dog watching the working collies and sheepdogs rounding up the sheep and getting marked for it well that's coming to the Isle of Man on the 5th 6th and 7th of July and I spoke to the chairman of the Treadler sheepdog trials committee on the Isle of Man Richard Crow and yeah, it's going to be a busy time ahead of this big contest. Yeah, we're hoping so. Um, we've got uh, a world champion coming over called Alad Owen. That's won. He's won the well. He's the current Welsh national uh, sheepdog champion, and he's also won the world championships. And we've got quite a few other top handlers coming over. So we're hoping for a good event. The Welsh have been particularly uh, passionate in the past. I mean, I remember as a kid watching one man and his dog and a. And everyone and the and the the Welsh handlers with their dogs always did pretty well. Yeah, they're still they're very hard to beat still now. There's a there's a person called Kevin Evans who's uh, I mean he's he's almost unbeatable. He's uh, he's wiping the floor with everyone at the moment. But they 
Unfortunately, he can't make it this year, but with Allard and, um, and a few other Welsh handlers, I'm sure they'll be hard to beat. Are they taking part in the Isle of Man one? Um, well, yeah, yeah, a few of them are, yeah. <laughs> but you've been involved in yourself, I suppose, since a kid, Richard, have you? Has it always been a real keen interest or a necessity for you on the farm? Uh, well, it is a necessity, I think. Um, you've got to have a dog. I mean, a lot of people use quads now, but uh, I find your sheep are calmer using the dogs. I might not stay so calm having to shout and roar at them, but, uh, you know, they, they, I think a dog is the best way to, to manage sheep, to be honest. You've um, been involved in training a lot of the dogs as well and been pretty successful at it. It must be a sort of secret or do you need a, an eye for the dog or can you tell straight away or can you sort of nurture ones that don't look very good to start with? Um, some from a very early age you can tell that they've got got it in them and you, you can kind of school but I've had late developers that have thought I'm struggling with this dog and you know you might be kind of hitting a brick wall and then all of a sudden after maybe a couple of months of going nowhere you, it'll suddenly leap forward so you can't really tell you just have to judge they're all different the dogs so um, you know I, I, I think You've just got to persevere with them, and, and most of them will turn out to be a you know handy farm dog. There's my dog setting off there. Um, a handy farm dog, or some of them will turn out to be top trial dogs. How long would it would it take you to get one from scratch up to to a sort of show standard, really? Um, I would say probably to get it up to like a proper trial dog that can do everything with turn backs and shedding and I would say probably maybe two years. Um, some develop quicker than others um, but I would say yeah around, around about the two years I would have thought. And are they mostly collies that, that are involved? Yeah I, I, you don't see many uh, kelpies or hunterways. Um, I did once have, I had a bearded collie that uh, that trialed um he was a really good dog and picked it up really quick but a little bit slightly different styles i think you need something with a little bit of eye and that's steady on sheep to really compete at the highest level with sheepdog trial and what about the the commands um do you, do you use a proper whistle that they sits in the roof of your mouth or can you use your your fingers like some of the fellas do um i can't use my fingers at all um i use a, a metal whistle um i couldn't really get a tune out of the plastic whistles at all um and it's pretty universal commands basically on a dog you can put whatever commands you want but most people put two peeps to the left and like a, a drawn out whistle maybe to the right and just a flat whistle for for stop but there's there's all sorts of different varieties that do people do put on but it's mainly for verbal commands it's come by to the left away to the right and lie down or scream lie down and in the severe cases that they don't stop in a trial itself i mean is that part of the judging or do they expect you to use total whistle or or a bit of both or do you use both? I think they'd probably like to see you using a whistle command. They like to see a dog handled calmly, um, maybe not too over commands as well. Um, they like to see a nice steady flow with the dog that you, the dog is using its brain and you're just 
kind of steering it through, not kind of, yeah, taken over from the dog. You really want to see a 50-50 partnership. Mm-hmm. What sort of things would happen in a trial then typically? How many sheep and how do you set off? Um, well, on this particular trial, we'll have, uh, on the qualifying days, we'll have four sheep um, and two of them will have, uh, no, sorry, one will have a collar um, around its neck. So basically, the handle has to send his dog out, collect the sheep, bring them through the two fetch gates, drive them through the two drive gates, and then they have to bring them into a round ring that's just in front of the handler, and then they have to separate, split them in two, um, split the two without collars on, and then they have to gather them up again, put them in a pen, and then they have to, once they've completed the pen, then they have to bring them back to the shed and ring, and then they have to single the one that's got the collar on and hold it basically away from the other three sheep. For the final, um, it'll be, there'll be, I think there's eight sheep in the first packet that the dog has to go and collect. He has to bring them halfway down the fetch and then it has to be redirected to a second batch of sheep that'll be let out on the other side of the field. They've got to be gathered up and then brought through the fetch gates again, drove through the two drive gates and then when it comes to the shedding ring, there'll be five collared ewes and them sheep have to be separated from the others, which is quite a difficult task. Mm, sounds it. And, um, and then once they've got them separated, they have to pen them and that's, that's the trial finish. So it, it's quite a complex task and uh, we're hoping to see some high quality uh, sheepdog trial. Yeah, it sounds uh, fabulous and uh, a lot of... Uh, trickery between the the owners and handlers and the dogs themselves and will it be sort of the judges holding up the marks as they go in on these sort of occasions or are they written down no they just jot them down basically the handlers will get to know um i think we might be posting the scores maybe every 10 handlers so people can maybe go we've got a marquee supplied by um the manx agricultural show um which we appreciate it a lot um, so if people maybe wanted to see some of the scores they could maybe go in the tent and see some of the scores that, that are up we'll also be having programs that will have the names of the handlers and hopefully the rudden order as well so it's a it's a three-day event this Richard when does it all get underway and um, how can people find where it is um, well it's on the 5th the 6th and 7th of July um, it's at Bishop's Court Farm um, if you're coming from Douglas Way, it's the entrance to go up is just by the Bishop's Court Glen on your right. Um, follow that entrance up. There will be signs to direct you anyway. Um, and follow that the lane up for about 200 yards and you'll come to a field on your right. And if you go in there, that's where the trial is. We're hoping to start round about nine to half nine. Um, and probably, yes, it'll be going on to probably about maybe four or five, depending on how the runs go. And depending on how the sheep behave as well it's one of them but it, it sounds like you've got a, a good entry for it as well yeah yeah we're, we're happy with our entry we can um we can fit like 50 dogs in in the day and uh it should make it that it's more uh comfortable for everybody it'll be quite a relaxed day i'm hoping and the, the tricky one i've seen in the past as well is the the brace or the pair of dogs is any of that going to be going on um no i don't think we're going to we might maybe for another year we might include a, a brace entry but uh it's it's a hard one to master that just trying to keep control of one dog is hard enough with never mind with two
But it'll be fascinating for anyone who's not really seen it in action before live. And because of these top people that will be competing as well, I'm sure that people will get a lot of uh, knowledge and information passed on through these. Yeah, well, we're hoping so. We're hoping this event uh, might encourage some of the um, some new handlers to the sport. And, you know, there's a lot of people over here that skilled in training dogs and maybe they could throw their hand at sheepdog trial and that's what we're hoping. And also maybe it might encourage some of the, maybe the farmers to give it a go themselves and, and maybe invest in a, in a good quality pup. Richard Crow, the chairman of the Treadalure Sheepdog Trials Committee, talking about the forthcoming sheepdog trials, uh, which are bringing a big international flavour here to the Isle of Man. That's happening on the 5th, 6th and 7th of July. And uh, Richard just wanted to put a big thanks out to our sponsors and uh, the NFU Mutual, who have put out uh, a lot of sponsorship and money towards putting this event on. So he just wanted to thank the NFU Mutual for that side of it as well. And it's uh, going to be great to, to get there and see it live. The heats on the on the um, 5th and the 6th and then on the Sunday, uh, the grand finals. And lots of the Welsh champions will be there as well, and, uh, competing with some of the, the island's greatest. And as Richard said there, the dog still a big part of his life oh it really is simon a part of any farm and family's life is the sheepdog and you know the wet winters it's just you and the dog walking across the fields where you know these heavy vehicles can't get on and there's such a, a use and if you get that bond with a good working dog it is team power and they are an awful great asset to the farm and businesses and for these sheepdog trialers, the, the amount of hours they put in to, to train those dogs because they're peas in a pod and just to have that little one that's a little bit extra special and we're so lucky to have the opportunity to see them here on the Isle of Man. They are world champions, some of these guys and girls. And Richard, very good to train on them as well. And it's quite funny remembering the, the old one man and his dog where they, where they start off and, and here's uh, John Simon Clark with Cap. Wait. Come by, come by. And then it would, by the end of it, when the sheep were all over the place, <laughs> lie down! It would all start fairly calm. But it's one of them things, the dogs can have a bad day as well as everything else. And there will certainly be some of that on Sunday as well, yeah. won't there? There'll be some great entertainment for the whole family. There will be. Um, there is refreshments and everything available and toilets and all on there. It's all happening at a Bishop's Court farm. Uh, which is just by the, the road to, to the Glen where the monument is, the old Bishop's Court, and it'll be well signposted as well, so you can go up to there. But we mentioned the weather uh, at the top of the programme, and it's been affecting um, the sheep shearers a little bit as well. It certainly has, Simon. It's been very intermittent, the weather, through through the early parts of June and uh, some of, the, of late May when the shearing contractors want to get out and get some of the fleeces off the sheep because normally, in a normal year, it'd be quite hot and, and it's essential for welfare. I went along to Crosby to catch up with young farmer Daniel Creer to see how the year has been so far in 2019. Well, Gary, it's it's been quite a good year so far. We had a um, a nice dry winter without very much rain, and it was fairly mild and warm. So we went through into lamb, and well, there wasn't lots of grass about. There was still a bit of gra- grass growth, and on the whole, for most people's lamb, and if not everybody's lamb, and the weather's been um, pretty good. That's helped to make uh, lambing easy for everyone. And then we had, um, although we had a storm or two through. The, the nice sunny weather's continued up until now, really. <laughs> 
that's typical, isn't it, for TT week? But going back, Daniel, we had a dry summer last year and a dry back end. Did it affect the numbers of lambs coming into this year? Because obviously it was quite a hard year on the sheep. Um, yes, certainly. Maybe not so much because of the dry summer, more probably the effect, what affected the number of the sheep was going back to last winter when we had the extremely wet and long winter. And then lambing time was not very pleasant for anyone really. Um, so that, that affected the numbers far more than the dry summer. Because um, to be honest, the, the stock did quite well. There was a, certainly a lack of feed about, but they did reasonably well through the summer. And we were fortunate enough in that the rain did eventually come. If we'd had even just a few more weeks, we would have been in a lot more trouble. Um, but then this mild winter's helped sort of balance the books up on that account. And it's I would say we've got a fairly good lambing with plenty of lambs about for coming into this year. And at the minute, the feed situation seems fairly good. So that's a positive that way. I would guess certainly for ourselves, we were probably nearly getting on for 20% down on lambs last year, but this year's looking very good at the minute. And that's good. And with your other job, Daniel, you're a shearing contractor and you will travel the Isle of Man. You will see the numbers of sheep around the country, but now the weather has turned, it isn't great. How is the shearing season getting going? Well, we, we had a very good start to the shearing season and uh, um, we started sort of around the... Um, Around the second week of May, we started shearing and we had a good uh, week, 10 days, getting on for a fortnight of good weather, which set us off nicely and, and put us sort of ahead on our targets. And then, then then we hit the practice week and a bit like the bikers and everyone else, uh, well, pulling our hair out really is a, a nice way to put it. <laughs> and how important is it to get sheep sheared? You know, you, you see lots of people now wanting to use wool. Some people see it as a bit of a, a, a welfare. They don't need shearing. How do you see it as a shearer? First and foremost, it's a, there is a welfare issue involved in that over thousands of years, sheep have been bred to not lose their wool naturally. So every, every year the sheep have got to be shorn because the hair grows and it can cut. There's many welfare issues that can come about from having long wool and the hot, sweaty weather. So, as far as that goes, is extremely important to get them shorn. And then you look at the product, and there's, um, as is coming apparent now, there's so many uses for what is essentially one of nature's super products. It's uh, non-flammable. It's biodegradable. Uh, extremely good at thermal insulation. It it should be used a lot more, and it used to be used a lot more. Only the um, invention of modern plastic fabrics has uh, dropped back on the use of wool. But we seem to be getting, as we get more and more eco-aware, more um, environmentally friendly, wool sort of coming back around into its own. And, and it should be regarded as that because it, it grows on the sheep every year. So it is the ultimate reusable product absolutely isn't it and do you think it's important for farmers to connect with the city you know bring the country and city together because there seems to be a bit of a them and us situation um i think unfortunately through through various reasons we do seem to be getting into that sort of situation and as more and more people grow up not in the countryside not on a farm not involved in food produ production there seems to be a bigger and bigger disconnect. And I do think it's very important we do start working on ways to bridge the gap and educate people and let them see, let be more open and let them see 
all aspects of like food production from uh, sheep and beef through to cereals and uh, and dairy because um, farmers get sometimes get such a bad press in in the uh, online and in the news but um, it, there's n- there's no no like the, it shouldn't be like that because food is es- essential for people and it, the half the problem is most people don't understand where the food comes from and can and don't see it because um as humans we've moved away from the countryside and into the cities yeah so. you see it so much in especially like japan where whole cities are completely desolate they've gone you know for a better way of life a, a better income i suppose do you see agriculture being a favored career still um unfortunately if you, you have to look about and say for many reasons it isn't a favoured career but I do think a lot of that's wrong it's a very interesting career you don't see a lot of the stuff day to day it's often different and the way um, everything's changing and agriculture's moving forwards it's it's not really the stereotypical image there's a lot more technology getting involved a lot more computers even like livestock farming's following along there's a lot more stuff involved than just growing out, going out and grubbing in the dirt, as sort of say the stereotypical images. Um, the way agriculture is becoming, and the amount of food production that people are needing as the population increases, it's getting more and more important to get some of the best and brightest into agriculture because the. Um, well, the people have got to be fed eventually, so... Well, this is it. And how hard is it for young farmers to get into agriculture? I know here on the Isle of Man, it is well, a smaller place. Does um, that affect... Bats, it dogs, certainly does have an effect. And, and, farming um, in general, from Daniel But if Beer, people really want to get into agriculture, always nice can to get, get back into, into it, isn't it? And even if it's just starting on off a handful of sheep and a few you know, the acres technology, here. not just in farming. Although la- land is tight know, for, and there is, it is, can be daunting. Handling, if you really want to do it, there is that blocks side of that do come available to side of, and you can get in. There's, there's quite a few young people I know about pick up the that do, only have a handful of sheep and admittedly most, like, as pets. But if that's one way to get into agriculture and also... Well, this is it. So many species are becoming rare or endangered, extinct. And even if we can do a small thing People to record to and prevent on anything happening to our bats here on the Isle of Man. They might not the be in abundance, but if we can help them survive and continue their life in, in a peaceful way, as it is here on the Isle of Man, they're very lucky. And it is great. But it's just people find it especially in Ireland out where they will have to go and help a monitor day job, electrician or a plumber, and then they'll have a small herd of cattle or sheep on the side as well. It seems to work. It's quite a nice balance of steady income alongside a bit more of a volatile industry as well. Northern Ireland chat with you to be very good in the right that. direction and um, Kirikoma, in some ways you, you can see the island well there's a certain we can send any number of people about doing that on the island man too we're you back can next see week the, with more there's uh, Simon Clark and that over here we might be heading in some of the smaller farms certainly could be heading in that direction whereas the the farmers going out having the main job and then doing the farming as like a second job or a pa- more of a pastime than a um, full-time job that wasn't in the past. Because certainly the way that um, the prices of livestock and, and um, cereals haven't really increased in the last 30 years, especially when you consider how much costs have increased, how much fuel and everything else has increased. So people have got to look at the situation and ha- what they are doing and think about how they are doing it. Yeah. 
And if one of those ways to do it is to go out and have a job so that they can pay their bills and then they 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 and then they can just spend a bit of their own time farming because they enjoy it, well that that might be the way some people have to go. Well, because it is a great way of life. You and I have been both fortunate to grow up on farms, but both of us have diversified. My mother and uh, my auntie and the sister the, and uh, cousins, they've got, they've got um, very involved and now have the uh, Crosby Leap in, um, in TT where they sell uh, drinks and food to the bikers and uh, we've part, well, we let them have the access to the field for free and yeah. use the bikes as a diversification. But... Um, the way things are going, diversification could become more and more important to supplement or even replace the income from um, direct farming sources. Exactly. So how do you see agriculture for a young person in a nutshell? <laughs> in a nutshell? <laughs> um, I would hope positively, really. The, the way things are going, if you look about, it's going to become more and more important to feed everybody as the population increases. And with the environmental concerns of everyone else, it's going to be more important to feed, uh, to do it smarter. So with that, if you take all that into consideration, you've got to feel that the outlook for the sector longer term is very positive. That was Daniel Creer, young farmer and sheep shearing contractor from Crosby. Yes, uh, he's been a great um ambassador in a way for the Isle of Man young farmer side of it as well as uh, the farming world on here in the Isle of Man they've got a great background in the in the sheep world the careers and you know they, they're one of the people who not trying to get stuck in and get his hands in and uh, particularly uh, you know renowned for the shearing side of his work as well which has been recognized over the years well that's right daniel travels to new zealand and australia in the previous seasons to do the contract and to learn how to manage teams and those lads will now come to britain for our shearing season and daniel will run two or three gangs for the isle of man and organize sheep farmers but you know yourself simon farmers are fiddly people to organize but when the rain comes trying to get the sheep shut in because they have to be dry to keep the wool in great condition and also you know it's sheep shearing is quite a difficult task and it can get electrocuted obviously if the sheep are wet so there's been a lot of organizing and i think daniel's been pulling his hair out this last few weeks with the rain but it's nice to see a bit of diversification and his thoughts on young people coming into the industry and a nice positive view You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, it's also a busy time of year for people who are involved in the bat world. Well, I went along and spoke to the records officer for the Manx Bat Group, Nick Pinder. And I put it to Nick that this time of year, I suppose, it's particularly busy with bats around the island. Yes, it is. They've been out for, for a little while, actually. Um weather's a bit up and down but uh, you get a nice evening and go out and just after sunset you'll see some and the you've been involved in in the back group for a number of years now nick's fair to say isn't <laughs> yeah, it yeah i would say yeah. and was this going before you got involved in it on the island no i'm afraid i started it in 1990 wow in response to the passing of the wildlife act when bats were protected for the first time here and we realised that um, government would need uh, some help from volunteers to uh, look after them. 
there's a release press release out at the moment about um, asking for help and just explain what's uh, what's the, the the point of this well as I say the back group's been around um, for all those years and, and we've been uh, finding roosts and we get asked by planning to surveys and find roosts that way or, or people just report them or just doing our own work we find roosts we got the biosphere reserve and the uh, government's biodiversity strategy um, that has targets in it to preserve population levels and things of different animals and plants and we don't have any sort of handle on on the population levels of, of the bats of the island um, whether they're doing well or, or not doing not so well uh, we, we have a feeling but um, these sorts of things you, you really do need uh, much better data than we have so we're hoping to organize volunteers to go out with these wonderful new detectors that we've been able to buy thanks to the Manx Lottery Trust um, and that will actually record and then you can identify from the recordings what species they are but also if you repeat that um, year on year or, or after a period of time keep repeating it you can work out uh, using statistics and things which I <coughs> beyond me um, but it's possible then to get trends as to whether the bats are decreasing or increasing um, or, or staying the same roughly right and then what's the is, is this a more modern type of equipment you've, you've sort of had bat detectors for a while haven't you? oh yes and the early ones I mean, at the time they were a, a terrific boon and, and a great help but they seem very dated now um, all they did was uh, turn the noise that you couldn't hear the bat calls into noise that you could hear and, and uh, people with better ears than me can actually identify the species very often from these calls um, then they brought out some um, that would actually record onto computer cards that you could analyse and now they've they've done it um, and that this particular model that we've just bought you can hear the calls as you're going um, and it will make recordings that you can analyse later and it's um, about as big as a, a reasonable size mobile phone really a bit thicker uh, so very lightweight easy to carry around we did a, a very similar exercise uh, five six years ago um, but the volunteers had to use those early detectors and, and all they could record was I heard a bat because they weren't didn't skilled enough to be able to identify the bats um, we have had detectors for a while that will make recordings but the volunteers wouldn't get anything out of it because it's just a black box that makes a recording. So, so now um, with these now modern ones... They can hear the bats and have a look up and see it uh, and know they've got a recording for us to analyse later and we can tell them afterwards at 10.35 when you were going past so-and-so farm entrance uh, the bat you heard was a such-and-such -such a bat um, and gradually they will learn what bat calls sound like on these recorders um, and increase their knowledge and interest.
Yeah, and it, and it sounds it sounds a, a brilliant idea, and it sounds the very thing that maybe people have tried it before and thought, well, I'm not too sure of it. But this now could regenerate everyone to go out. Well, I, we, we hope so, that it will generate interest and enthusiasm from people to come forward. Um, there's, there's a lot to do. The Isle of Man's a big place when you start thinking of just sort of walking around it. Although these detectors can also be carried around in cars, and you could do car-based transects, or uh, one of our members is a keen mountain biker and it would work perfectly well in that situation as well so it, there's all sorts of ways that people could get involved and and uh, hopefully get their interest going how can you tell where they're roosting oh well that's, that's <laughs> quite difficult um again many many years ago 95 the back group had a week's workshop uh, and we brought one of the top dutch researchers and there's a thing called backtracking, and you go out with a bat detector, you hear a bat at, say, half an hour past sunset, and you roughly know what direction it's come from. You go out the next night five minutes earlier, but a hundred yards or so towards where the bat came from. And you keep doing that, and in theory, eventually you get back to a, a building or something, and the bats come out of it. Um, but it never worked quite like that for me. It, it did actually, not far from where I live, uh, last year I managed to do it, um, <clears throat> but it's quite labour intensive. I think in Holland it's a lot easier because it's a flatter landscape yeah. and you can use bicycles and things <laughs> to get around. Um, but but so you can do it like that, um, but usually it's just here, say it's the householder might get in touch with us because um, they've, they've got bats or they think they've got bats or we might be asked to do a, a bat survey for planning on a building that's going to be altered that uh, is in the right sort of position that it could have bats and, yeah. and you, you find them sometimes like that. Some of the bat species that we have on the island are known to migrate in other parts of Europe. Uh, Lysler's bats, which I've got a pet theory are relatively recent colonizers since the Second World War of the island. Um, in Eastern Europe, they migrate a thousand kilometers wow. from um, sort of up around Leningrad back down into Central Europe. Um, there's a species that we found, we got recordings of last year, and we've not actually seen um, a live specimen yet. Nathusius is pipistral, uh, which migrates again from the Baltic down into um, western Germany, Belgium, northeast France. Uh, but it's begun to uh, appear in southeast England. But it's known that the first maternity colonies were found in Northern Ireland. So we did suspect that it would be here, and, and we've having got recordings but I think it is here but we can't you know definitely prove it yet now those those migrate <coughs> um, on the island we don't think they do um, you do find bats in winter and builders come across them quite often taking out a window frame or a door frame they'll be tucked in and behind there um, and we have had one or two sort of expeditions um, we brought some climbers over one year and we went down the chasms 
found two or three. Uh, we've been down Laxey Mines, found a couple. Um, so we don't find the winter roosts like they do in Europe where you get 10,000 bats in a, in a cave. Um, and it has been speculated that perhaps they migrate off the island, but then we do find them occasionally in uh, trees. We, and we know that so many of these tiny little crevices that they can get in, when, there must be so much availability around the island that you could hide all the bats during the winter quite easily, wow. um, but just very difficult <coughs> to, to find. So if anyone wants to get involved with this, how can they do that? Um, if you go on our website, which is uh, banksbatgroup.org, um, there'll be the information on there, how to register for the, the survey, and, and the organiser will take your name and details and get back to you and discuss what route um, you'd like to do. Uh, <coughs> the, the basic idea is to walk about... Uh, a kilometre or so just after sunset with one of these detectors uh, for, for about an hour um, so it's not too too onerous uh, but we don't want sort of half the people in Douglas following each other around uh, we want do want to get a geographical spread over the island so there might be some discussion as to what route uh, okay. and wh when was this going to happen we would hope to, to have it uh, three surveys during the course of the year, June, July, August, so straight away really if you'd like to get onto that website. Well there we are, um, bats, sheepdogs and farming in general from Daniel Creer all on this week's Countryside. Always nice to get back into it isn't it and hear what's been going on and you know the technology not just in farming but you know for for dog handling the quads for rounding sheep that side of things even to the side of, of where you can have a special technology now to pick up the sounds of bats and it can record it and and translate it into what type of bat it is that the the sound is coming from well this is it so many species are becoming rare or endangered extinct and even if we can do a small thing to record and prevent anything happen to our bats here on the Isle of Man. They might not be in abundance, but if we can help them survive and continue their life in, in a peaceful way as it is here on the Isle of Man, they're very lucky. It is great. But it's just people taking a little bit of time out of their life to go and help monitor these things. And what a beautiful place we live. You know, it's something right on our doorstep. It's something we can all enjoy. It is. Have you got anything for countryside that you think that uh, would be suitable to feature on our programme? We'll come round and get a chat with you or point us in the right direction. Get in touch with Kiri Kermode or myself, Simon Clark. Leave a message at Manx Radio's reception or you can send an email to countryside at manxradio.com. We're back next week with more. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermode. We'll see you then. Ta-da. Bye-bye.